As Bruce said, if you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, that would be uh, page 587. And we're going to be reading Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, uh, talking about uh, John's birth announced to uh, Zacharias and as Bruce begins his new Christmas series, Fear Not. Again, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn, turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and who was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his services were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, and thank you so much for your goodness, and so much that that you care about us and that because you are and because you are in control, we need not fear. God, just uh, speak through Bruce this morning and help us to hear and to apply. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. It's a little strange to talk about fear during the Christmas season. After all, Christmas is supposed to be a season to be jolly, is it not? It's a, supposed to be about joy, it's supposed to be about peace and, and celebration time. In fact, according to Andy Williams, it's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you to be of good cheer, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap happiest season of all with those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the hap happiest season of all. But that's not what many people will experience this Christmas season. 
And it's certainly not what many people experienced at the first Christmas. Their Christmas was characterized by fear. Four times the angel tells these people, fear not or do not be afraid, depending on what Bible translation you hold. With a future of such promise and hope, why were so many people, why were they so prone to fear? Well, perhaps the same question could be asked of us even today. Why are we so prone to fear? Today, people are fearful of any number of things. It might be a fear of losing one's job. It might be a fear of not being able to pay the mortgage or the rent. It could be the fear of never getting married, the fear of just simply the unknown. It may be a fear of commitment, or it could be a fear of loneliness during the holidays. You may even have the fear of of spending time with your family during the holidays. What's it going to be like? What am I going to encounter? What conflict's going to arise? These are real concerns. And these fears seem like a reasonable response to them. But fear also drives us away from God. And it reveals our desire to want to be in control of our circumstances. And so no wonder God comes. And he tells us, he exhorts us, fear not. In fact, do you realize the, the number one command in all of Scripture is this right here? Fear not. But it is also, with that command, with that exhortation, it is God's invitation to trust him. And that is what we're going to see throughout this series. For these four Sundays here, beginning today and concluding on Christmas Sunday, we're going to see God's invitation to trust Him in spite of our circumstances, in spite of what we may be facing in life. God invites you and I to simply trust Him. Fear not. God is with us. Oftentimes our fears grab hold of us when we lose confidence that God is really near, that he's not at work in our lives. And yet what we're going to see in the life of Zacharias here this morning, next Sunday we'll look at Mary, and then the shepherds, and also Joseph, is that God instructs us to fear not. Jesus even tells us in Matthew 14, 27, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. So what are you afraid of? At this moment, if you were to jot it down in your notes there, what would you write? What would you put on your paper? What fears are perhaps holding you back and even sabotaging your Christmas joy? Whatever it may be, God wants to help us to overcome our deepest fears as we learn to simply trust Him. And so let's begin here with Zacharias in the passage of Scripture that Kevin read for us here in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And what we have is the story of Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. And you may be wondering, well, who is Zacharias? Some of you may be familiar with, with who he is. Some of you, this may be the very first time you even heard of his name. And so who are we talking about here this morning? Well, here's a synopsis that we could describe him with right here in your notes. You're welcome to pull out the sheet and follow along or just follow on the screen behind me. But Zacharias is a priest who was scared stiff by an angel and struck mute because of his unbelief. 
you could say that this was the defining moment in his life. That day when he was scared stiff and struck mute. And from that day until the day he died, Zacharias would retell this story over and over how he was scared stiff by this angel and struck mute because of his unbelief. In fact, for Zacharias, life would, would forever revolve around this very encounter with the angel of the Lord. And that encounter, it plays out in three scenes. And that's how I want us to unpack this here this morning. Around three scenes. And the first scene that we see here is a faithful priest without a child. A very faithful priest without a child. Zacharias is a faithful priest who is living in the hill country near Jerusalem, which simply means he was just another ordinary country priest. In fact, he was one of an estimated eight to 10,000 priests living in Palestine during this time. In verse 5, we learn that Zacharias is married to the daughter of a priest named Elizabeth, which was considered a rather rare and wonderful blessing for a priest, for, for she would understand the demands of the priesthood better than others. It's interesting, Zacharias' name is a, a very popular priestly name, and it means the Lord has remembered and his wife's name, Elizabeth, meant the Lord is reliable. And little did they know at that time how their names would prove dramatically prophetic. We might think of Zacharias and Elizabeth as an old country pastor and his wife nearing the age of retirement. And yet both were still very active in serving the Lord and both were characterized with righteousness. In fact, according to verse 6, six look what it says. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now, this doesn't mean that Zacharias and Elizabeth were sinless, but it does mean that they had a right relationship with God Almighty. They loved God and they lived by His law. Zacharias and Elizabeth one would think that they surely enjoyed the happiness then that comes to a husband and wife, that comes to families where both the husband and wife are righteous before God. They learn, live for God and serve Him, except for this one cloud that casts a very dark shadow on their happiness. Notice what it is, this cloud of disappointment. Zacharias and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, but they had no child. They had no child. And in those days, listen, to bring context to this and the severity of what this means, in those days, there was nothing worse for a couple than barrenness. Kids meant, not having, kids meant having someone to take care of you in your old age. In that day, kids meant helping you in the agricultural aspect of, of living and surviving in the world. In those days, there was no nursing homes, there was no assisted living. Your kids provided that for you. And so this was a severe aspect here, a severe disappointment. Luke states the facts of their disappointment this way in verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. And we can imagine the lifetime of heartache behind those words, as, as childless parents in that day and age felt somewhat passed over by God. 
This was the great disappointment in Elizabeth's life. She had always longed to hold a child in her arms, her child. But now that was impossible. Her womb was old and she was barren. And perhaps many of us here, even now, we face these same types of disappointments in life. It seems disappointment meets you around every corner in life, whether it's personally, whether it's financially, or physically, or socially, whatever the case may be. And I'm sure for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had prayed many, many years for God to give them a child. And any woman who has ever wanted a child knows what Elizabeth must have endured, the, the prying questions of, of when you're going to have a child, why aren't you having a child, the, the insensitive remarks, the sharp pain of disappointment, and the nagging doubts about the goodness of God. Why aren't you blessing me with a child? But for Elizabeth, there was something even worse than this. And that is the suggestion that somehow her barrenness was her fault. One commentator writes, in any cultural culture, infertility is an aching disappointment. And for some, an almost unbearable stress. But the burden cannot be compared to that borne by childless women in ancient Hebrew culture because barrenness was considered a disgrace, even a punishment. Later in verse 25, Elizabeth refers to the stigma she had to endure from people who assumed that God was against her because she was childless. In fact, she even calls it her reproach or her disgrace. Now, this was bad manners on people's part, but it was even worse theology on her part. Elizabeth was not ungodly. What does the text tell us? Luke tells us that she was righteous before the Lord. Therefore, the heartache that she suffered was not some kind of punishment for her sin. Listen, our sins are not always the cause of our suffering. Sometimes they are. But not always. Sometimes Christ's followers suffer for exactly the opposite reasons. For the sake of righteousness. Sometimes God allows us to suffer because He wants to be glorified through our suffering. And in this case, Elizabeth was childless for the glory of God. God was not punishing her here, but God was planning a miracle that would get His people ready for the Savior of the world. And so the question to ask about suffering is not, what have I done to deserve this? But rather the question to ask is, listen, how can I glorify God through this? No matter what suffering we must endure, there is still a way to glorify God. Well, we come to scene two in the defining moment of Zechariah's life. And in this scene, we see him as a, a fearful priest with an angel. By the time Zacharias gets to the temple, he is a card-carrying member of AARP. And no, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Notice what Luke tells us here in verses 8 through 10. It says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Now again, to help us kind of understand the situation here, 
This was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for Zacharias. The honor of offering incense in the temple was the greatest event in the life of a priest. Many priests, in fact, never got this privilege, and no priest was allowed to offer this, to do this, what Zachariah's getting ready to do more than once. And perhaps we can visualize the picture in our own minds. With anticipation and awe, Zacharias prepared to offer incense on God's altar. Zacharias was standing in the presence of Almighty God, burning the incense that filled the room with smoke. His heart was pounding in his chest, and then suddenly it almost stopped as Zacharias realized he was not alone, but in the presence of a heavenly being. Verses 11 and 12 says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. In fact, and fear, it says, fell upon him. In other words, Zacharias was terrified. In fact, the word literally means petrified. This is what happens when people see angels. It's the normal human response when people like you and I see angels. Not that we have, but in that day and age when angels appeared before mankind, this was the typical response. This angel was none other than Gabriel, the same angel that appeared to Mary and before her appeared to Daniel. Gabriel tells Zacharias what angels typically have to tell human beings when they first encounter them. Fear not. Fear not. Notice why in verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, that there... That is the day that changed everything. This is the day when everything changed for Zacharias. Because right here at this moment, Zacharias met an angel with good news. With incredible news. Zacharias, your prayer has been heard, the angel says. Your, life, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. What incredible news this must have been. But wait, this wasn't Zechariah's prayer in the temple. He, he was in there praying for his nation. He was praying for the Messiah to come. He was praying for the salvation of Israel. Zacharias was an old priest by now. In fact, some believe he may have been up in his 70s or even his 80s by now. And so he wasn't praying for a child. Listen, he prayed that prayer many, many years ago, and now he and his wife Elizabeth have finally stopped praying that prayer. Just because God never answered that prayer doesn't mean God didn't hear that prayer, though. So here's Gabriel telling Zacharias the good news that his prayer for a child has been heard. A prayer that he prayed perhaps many years ago. And of course, this child would be known as John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way for the Savior Jesus Christ. No wonder Gabriel tells Zacharias in verse 19, I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. In other words, good news. Literally, the gospel. What an incredible day for Zacharias. A priest without a child met an angel with good news. I can just see Zacharias in the temple. He's probably spilled frankincense on his robe. 
his mouth is hanging wide open and, and his mind is completely blown away by what the angel says. So how would Zacharias respond to all this? Well, that brings us to scene three. And here we see a faithless priest without a voice. A faithless priest. Do you think Zacharias' first words are, Oh, Gabriel, this is wonderful news. Praise be to God who has answered our prayer. Not quite. That's the revised version of what he wished he had said. Notice what Zacharias actually said in verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Now you've got to say at least one thing for Zacharias. He's wise enough to say, I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. <laughs> Guys, this is a great way to describe your age and your wife's age. Even though Elizabeth's birth certificate may have said expired, no man in his right mind uses the words old and wife in the same sentence. The problem is, the problem is what Zacharias says first here. His first response. How shall I know this? Eugene Peterson offers this paraphrase. Do you expect me to believe this? Which captures the heart of, of unbelief by Zacharias. God has moved this faithful priest to the outer limits of his faith, and, and he says what every one of us say whenever we're beyond the boundaries of our belief too. How are you going to do this, Lord? How will I know this is certain, Lord? In other words, Zechariah's answer in so many words is, don't you know old people don't have babies? God, don't you comprehend this? Don't you understand this? If you ever wanted to know how to mess up the best day of your life, this is it right here. This is a crash course on how to mess up the best day of your life. Look at it. And here's the reason why Zechariah did. Instead of looking to God in faith, Zacharias looked at himself and his wife in unbelief, and he decided the birth of a son was impossible. The objection Zacharias raised is the objection that people always raise. He did not believe in the supernatural power of God. He was looking at things from merely a human point of view. His biology was right, but his theology was wrong. In fact, according to one pastor, Zacharias looked at his age, his gray hair, his body that had lost its strength. He looked at his wife's barrenness, and he refused to accept on faith what the angel revealed would come to pass. Zacharias just couldn't believe how his old wife could conceive. He wanted proof, even though he's standing before the angel of the Lord. That always cracks me up. It always gets me. I'm like, are you kidding me? You want proof and you're standing before God's, God's angel? And you want proof? Zacharias says in verse 18, I am an old man and my wife is an old woman. But look what the angel says in verse 19. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. By the way, this right here, it's interesting what Gabriel says. He's using a wordplay in his response to Zechariah's objections. 
the presence of God is really the great I am. That's who Gabriel's referring to, which means the obstacles of your I am. Zechariah says, I am old. I am this. My body is past this age. I am, and the obstacles of your I am are not a problem for the great I am. Zacharias, your physical inability is now the perfect platform for God's supernatural ability. But Zacharias wanted proof. He wanted a sign, and that's exactly what God gave him. God gave him a sign. The angel tells Zacharias in verse 20, But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were, will be fulfilled in their own time. And from that moment forward, for the next nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Zacharias didn't speak another word. He couldn't even pronounce the priestly blessing on the people when he came out of the temple. Listen, I understand that. I get that. There was nothing worse for a priest than to lose your voice. A priest without a voice, well, that's like you may as well not be a priest. Poor Zacharias. He had just heard, if you can imagine this, he had just heard the greatest news that anyone had heard in about 400 years. God had been silent to his people for 400 years since the old prophets in the Old Testament. And now for 400 years of silence, this is the first in which God intervenes into humanity and speaks through an angel. And so this is a supernatural revelation of God. And now Zacharias, he can't even verbalize it. He can't even share it. God was going to teach Zacharias a lesson here. He's going to teach him to trust him. He's going to teach him that God is able to work in circumstances that seem impossible. And as a priest, he should have remembered, he should have known what God had done for Abraham and Sarah. Zachariah's temporary disability was a sign against his very unbelief. God said, you want a sign, Zacharias? I'll give you a sign. If you won't believe my word, I won't let you share it until your son is born. And so Zacharias, he had nine long months of silence and solitude to ponder the angel's message here. To ponder God's rebuke for his unbelief. Zacharias' silence may have been a divine rebuke against his unbelief, but God always, and this is what's so great about our God, God always turns his rebukes into rewards for those who repent of their sin, for those who turn back to God and follow him in obedience, which Zacharias did. Sure enough, God kept his promise. Elizabeth conceived and gave birth to a son in her old age. What a miracle. And in obedience, Zacharias named his son John, proving, by naming his son John, proving his faith in God's promise that the Messiah was coming, that Jesus was coming, and that his son John would prepare the way for the Savior of the world. Luke even tells us later on in the story, in verse 64, he says, immediately Zechariah's mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak for the first time in nine months, praising God. And according to verse 68, the first words out of his mouth were, blessed be the Lord God 
of Israel. What an incredible story. Incredible story of a priest who was scared stiff by an angel and struck mute by his unbelief. This was the defining moment in Zacharias' life. This was the day everything changed for Zacharias, but why should we care? What difference does it make? Sure, it's a fascinating story, is it not? In fact, it's, it's an incredible story. But why should we pay heed to it? Why, why is this story even included in the scriptures here? Why did Luke record it for us to read thousands and thousands of years later? Well, Luke includes this story in his gospel because these, there are lessons here in this story that God wants us to learn. God is speaking to us through this very story. God wants us to walk out of here this morning learning something and applying something to our lives from Zacharias. Because the reality is, all believers, all Christ followers, even strong believers like Zacharias and Elizabeth, let me tell you, all of us, we stumble through unbelief at some point or another in life. All of us struggle through unbelief at some point. Perhaps that's where you are right now in your own life. You're struggling through unbelief. Or perhaps you have yet to come to that point in your life. Or maybe God has already brought you from your doubts and your unbelief to faith in Him. Whatever or wherever you may be in life, there are valuable lessons here for us to learn. In fact, there are life lessons. Notice the first one. The first lesson we can draw out from this is don't expect to pass on suffering for living right. Don't expect to pass on suffering for living right. Did you notice when this story, this story opens, we find two pretty good people in Zacharias and Elizabeth, do we not? I mean, they both have good biblical names. They both were righteous before God. They are living for God. I mean, we would say they were squeaky clean. But they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. And they were both too old to even have children. And so living right, living righteously, living godly, didn't mean Zacharias and Elizabeth got a pass on suffering. And we don't get that pass either. This is really important for us to understand, for us to grab hold of, especially in the midst of our own suffering. Suffering doesn't always come to really bad people. In fact, oftentimes, it comes to really godly people. Because God wants us to be glorified through our suffering. And so whatever suffering God may be taking you through, whatever disappointment you have in life, whatever unfulfilled dreams there are still in your life, listen, God wants to be glorified through your faith in that. And so the first lesson to understand is don't expect to pass on suffering just because you are living right for God. The second lesson is don't stop serving God because of your suffering. 
It would have been so easy for Zacharias and Elizabeth to just say, why bother? God isn't keeping this end of the deal. Why serve him? It isn't paying off. I expect this. It's not happening, so why bother anymore? And isn't that the way a lot of Christians, unfortunately, approach it? They expect this of God. God doesn't come through the way they want him to. And so now their response is, they ditch it. They walk away from it. After all, the one thing that Zacharias and Elizabeth desired most of all and prayed to receive day after day for so many years was being withheld from them, and yet their unfulfilled dreams of a child didn't stop them from serving the Lord. They were faithful day after day, well into their retirement years, if you will. Let me ask you a question. What does it take for you to stop serving and worshiping God? What is the one thing God has withheld from your life that tempts you to stop trusting Him? The remarkable thing in this story that gets overlooked is that Zacharias didn't resign as serving as a priest, he didn't quit. And Elizabeth didn't stop worshiping the Lord because of their disappointment, their suffering. They stayed faithful in spite of it. In fact, through it all. And through it all, they glorified God. Were they perfect? No, Zacharias shows us he's not perfect. He stumbles through unbelief in this episode. So don't expect to pass on suffering for living right. Don't stop serving God because of your suffering. And then the third life lesson here is don't think your prayers are rejected because God's answers are delayed. The most reassuring phrase in this whole story is what the angel says in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Fear not, for your prayer has been heard. Don't you just love that? Man, that is so awesome. Your prayer has been heard. Because how many of us pray and we wonder, we doubt, does God even hear me? Does God even hear it? How many times do you think Zacharias and Elizabeth prayed for a child? How many years did they pray this same prayer? No doubt it was many times and many years that they asked God to give them a child. But now they are old and they may have given up on that prayer even being fulfilled. They may have long considered that prayer a hopeless prayer now that was never going to be answered. And so here's what we learn about prayer. Your prayers are not rejected just because God's answers are delayed. You may be here this morning with your own helpless prayers. And you may be thinking that your prayer is rejected when in fact God has simply delayed His answer for whatever reason. J.C. Ryle put it this way, we must be aware of hastily concluding that our prayers are useless. It is not for us to prescribe either the time or the way in which our requests are to be answered. And so just because the answer of the Lord has been delayed in your life, do not think that your prayers have been rejected. Remember, Zachariah's name, it means what? The Lord remembers. And I love that. His name means the Lord remembers. And 80 years later, what does God do? He remembers. Zacharias, your prayers have been heard. 
And so fear not, God has not forgotten your prayers. And then our fourth and last life lesson here is don't assume God's ways will always make sense. Don't assume God's ways will always make sense. Probably the place where we are most susceptible to a train wreck in our faith is right here in the midst of our suffering, is trying to rationalize and make sense of God's ways. Zacharias pushed back against God's way. He's looking at himself. He's looking at himself and he's looking at his wife and he is saying to the angel, Gabriel, you see how old I am. You see this body and my wife is the same way. How is this even possible? I don't believe it. Zacharias simply couldn't conceive in his mind how his wife could conceive. And to put it in modern terms, Zacharias just didn't have a category for a couple on Medicare having a baby. It just didn't compute with him. Listen, one of the worst things we can do is try to make sense from a human perspective of God's ways. To rationalize what God is doing through the laws of our universe. Sometimes God chooses to break those laws physically with miraculous things and miraculous healings and to bring deliverance that could come nowhere else from but heaven. But sometimes God chooses to work in the midst of our suffering by showing His strength through our weakness. This is why when Paul prayed three times for God to remove His thorn in the flesh, what did God tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. And you know why, Paul? Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, I will be glorified through it, God says. Paul says, whoa, most gladly, bring it on. Most gladly will I rejoice in my suffering that the power of Christ may rest on me. The bottom line here is God's God and we're not. And sometimes as Christ followers, we just need a big dose of that. We need to be reminded that he's God and we're not. And there always comes a point in our life, in fact, for some, there are many times there comes a point in our life when we just need to take God at His word. We just need to look at God and quit looking at ourselves, quit looking at our circumstances. In the life of Zacharias, quit looking at how old he is. And trying to compute that with the promise of God of having a son. Here's the summary lesson from Zacharias. If you want to bring it all down, here it is. God wants me to trust him. God wants me to trust him in spite of my circumstances, and as a result, you will have joy and gladness. That's the summary lesson of Zacharias. You see, the circumstances of Zacharias and Elizabeth having a baby, let me tell you, they were humanly impossible. And yet God said it was going to happen. And I just love what the angel says in verse 13 and 14. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, the angel says to him. And many will rejoice at his birth. And you know what? 
That's exactly what happened. Just as God said it would. Elizabeth conceived, and she gave birth to a son, and Zacharias and Elizabeth named him John, and they were filled with joy and gladness at having a child in their 80s. Can you imagine that? And all their friends and family and their neighbors, later on in the story it says, they came to them, and they rejoiced with them. They celebrated. And they had a celebration in the power and the miraculous promises of God being fulfilled. Listen, trusting God is not just for an old priest and his old wife. It's for all of us here this morning. God wants all of us to trust him in spite of our circumstances and to rejoice in his goodness and grace at work in our lives. What is God asking you to be? What is he asking you to do that is stretching the boundaries of your faith? What circumstances in your life seem impossible for God to work in? Fear not. God wants you to trust him. He wants you to take him at his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this day, asking that you would help our unbelief. Forgive us for not trusting you like we should and taking you at your word. Father, grant us the grace to keep serving and worshiping you in the midst of our suffering and unfulfilled dreams. Thank you for your promises and the salvation we have in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The praise team's going to sing a chorus. And this is your opportunity to respond right where you're seated to respond in prayer, perhaps to bring your suffering, your disappointment, your unfulfilled dreams to Him, perhaps to bring your unbelief to God. Ask Him to help you to believe. Trust Him in spite of your however God may be leading you this morning. Talk to Him. Pray to Him. Respond to Him as the praise team sings.